Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Campsite Media. In 2014, the 1990 Rams were inducted into Randolph's brand new Athletic Hall of Fame. Coach John Bauer Sr., who died days before the game, was honored, and the players were invited to the high school for a ceremony. They were asked to run onto the field before a Friday night football game, just like the old days. And the field was very soggy. It like ran the day before. I didn't want to slip, so I was kind of like jogging. Pete Sedarius told me his family was watching from the bleachers, and afterwards he asked his 13-year-old son how he felt about the town honoring his dad. I thought it'd be like a really cool senior dad out in the football field being honored. But I go, what did you think of me running out in the field? He goes, you ran really slow. My oldest daughter, she's 24. Um, I told her I was being interviewed today for a podcast. And she goes, what was so special about that game again? <laughs> you know, so. And what'd you tell her? I, I told her. I told her what, you know, what I told you guys. You know, it's Miracle Montclair. It's the greatest game ever played. We're the number one team in New Jersey. I said my coach that. I give her the whole background. She's like, oh, okay. So, you know, it puts everything in perspective, right? It's only a high school football game. I've heard this a lot. It's just a game. It's only sports. What's the big deal? And those people have a point. But I've also heard from the other side. Back on December 5th, 2019, an hour after my original story published on NJ.com, I got an email from a lifelong New Jersey resident named Ed. He told me he was 73 years old, but that he still thinks about a Little League game from 1959, when he was 13. Ed explained that the umpires had missed an interference call, which led to his team's final base runner being tagged out to end the game. Ed had been at the plate, ready to win it for his team, but he never got the chance. He then told me, I never played again, and can still see the play in my mind's eye. Over the following weeks and months, I'd opened tons of emails like this one from people all over the country. A man from small-town Minnesota who said he still has nightmares about the last high school basketball loss of his career. A guy from central Jersey still bothered by losing a state soccer championship on a phantom handball. An old-timer from Brooklyn whose football team was defeated in the 1972 city championship on a blown call in overtime. The stories went on and on. That's when it became clear to me. Nearly everyone has a moment like this. A game, or choice, or experience that they still think about years later, wondering how it might have changed things. It stayed with them. It shaped them. Just like those 1990 Mounties, who are still grappling with the pain from 
just a high school football game. From Campside Media, Entertainment One, and NJ Advanced Media, this is Lights Out. I'm Matt Stanmeyer, and this is Episode 7, Just a Game. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. While the 1990 defeat seemed to linger over Montclair for years, the same can be said about Randolph's players, but in a different way. The victory meant that every member of the Rams team would forever be a hero in Randolph. They were inducted into the school's Hall of Fame. They've taken part in glowing recollections, newspaper stories, and internet videos about the miracle that was. The win seemed to almost kickstart their lives as they headed into adulthood. When I sat down with Pete earlier this year in his diner, He glowed while we talked about his teammates from the 1990 team, because all 10 seniors on the squad have gone on to live seemingly pretty great lives. Tarun Aurora is a neurosurgeon. Eric Shabe is a litigation specialist in Virginia. Justin Malachek sells real estate in Florida, I think. Mark Schmidt is is an airline mechanic for a a corporate fleet. That is pretty amazing when you say it like that. Yeah, especially looking back at it. Uh, He's the underachiever, though, the neurosurgeon. Let's be realistic here. Pete doesn't credit the victory over Montclair for everybody's success. Maybe it played some small role, but it was more the culture of Randolph at large, he told me. Everyone in town looked out for them, from their teachers to the local barber to the pizza shop owner. It was the foundation for who Pete and his teammates became, and it was a mentality that was drilled in from the very top, from John Bauer Sr. himself, who made it clear playing football for Randolph was about developing the total person, and not just an athlete. Pete used to work in his family's diner when he was in high school, and he remembers Bauer Sr. supporting him and talking about the values of hard work and resilience. It's something he carries with him today as a business owner. My wife says all the time, you know, bombs could be going off all around you, and you just seem like you don't care. But I do care, but I know how to compartmentalize it. And I think it's a lot of it because of the way I was taught playing Randolph football. You know, Coach Bauer would always say, luck is when opportunity meets preparation, right? So... If you're prepared, if you do things the right way, if you follow the game plan, you're going to have success. For Rams quarterback Mike Grow, that preparation paid off. His high school years got him ready for the hard work and dedication it would take to make it as a high-level athlete and coach. After high school, Mike played for the University of Virginia. He later won two national championships as an assistant coach at Alabama. He won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles and now he's an assistant coach for the New York Giants. But despite all his accolades, only one game has followed him throughout his entire life. And spoiler alert, it's not the Super Bowl. I get a call once or twice a year to talk about it, which I was joking about yesterday. I mean, it's like this game, it just keeps following you around. And uh, it's just interesting how something you could do, you know, 30-some years ago, would you'd still be talking about like this like it was yesterday. Mike still gets emotional thinking back on the game and what Randolph football means to him. Growing up, his family moved around a lot, and he still does now because of his job. But Randolph is the first place that truly felt like home. And like Pete, Mike finds himself thinking about Coach Bauer often. As we were talking earlier this year in his office inside Giants headquarters, 
he suddenly pulls out one of his most prized possessions. Look, this is the uh, 1990 uh, Randolph football handbook. Do you mind if I take a picture? No, you can take a picture of it. If the body sags, but the mind never dies. That's interesting. It's a thick packet that looks like it was hand-typed on a typewriter. It's full of letters from former players and inspirational sayings. There's also the team prayer that the Rams used to recite before games. Mike still says it all the time. It's an all-encompassing prayer. It's about spirit, spirituality and um, togetherness and uh, courage. Mike's had plenty of challenges over the course of his career. In 2008, he was working with his dad, Al Groh, as an offensive coordinator at the University of Virginia. Al was accused of nepotism when he hired his son, and then after a couple seasons, he had to essentially fire Mike, which was incredibly difficult for the family. Then a couple of years ago, Mike was fired by the Philadelphia Eagles. But even when people doubt or judge him, Mike doesn't quit. He trusts himself. He said it's the biggest lesson he carries with him from playing for the Rams. It gave me a confidence in myself. Um, and, a, and a certain belief in myself that I can do it as long as I, I believe that I can do it. Um, I'll figure out a way. This October, Mike was inducted into Randolph's Hall of Fame. This time he was honored as an individual. And he doesn't take any of it for granted. Because he knows for some Montclair players, it's been a different story. It touches me. It does. Uh, competed against those guys and had a lot of respect for them uh, and the way that they played the game and they played the game the right way. Um, and they were coached by, you know, a great coach and a great staff. And it just didn't go their way that day. Um, but I, I feel for them and um, have nothing but respect for those guys as, as a team and individually as, as competitors in the way that they, they played that day. There are plenty of success stories on the Montclair side, too. Jason Curry is a successful attorney in the Los Angeles area. Matt Bellis is an author, public speaker, and has a PhD. Jim Vigna, Jason Rolke, Steve Sudovar, and many others have gone on to have successful business careers. For some Mounties, the game was a blip, a distant memory that didn't have much impact. But for others, playing football at Montclair and what they experienced in 1990 has shaped their work and in some cases even their lives. When I visited Dyro Patterson in Georgia earlier this year, he told me that when I first started calling him back in 2019, I had triggered a trauma he never realized he needed to confront. By trauma, he meant the game and also parts of his childhood. He told me our conversations actually helped him start to heal some wounds from his past. I was like still angry. Like, yeah, why is this guy calling me? You know? So when he, when he called, he allowed me to talk about it. He just like, yo, tell me about what happened. And as I talked about it, I felt the weight coming off of me. And I just let it out. I'm like, ah, that feels better. Thanks, man. <laughs> a lot of Dairo's anger was connected to his relationship with his dad, who wasn't around much when he was growing up. And he realized through therapy and self-development that for years he'd been using football as a sort of escape or a way to mask how he really felt. Insecure, lonely, and rejected by his dad. He told me that as a kid, he'd always wish for a dad like Gary's, Pony Sistrunk. Dyra would invite his own father to his games, but he never showed up. Then one day, during one of Dyra's college games at Ramapo, 
he heard a familiar voice call his name. I'm like, who is calling my name? And it was my dad. I just gave him the biggest hug in the world. The most emotional day of my life when he came in, because I've been waiting for that for years. Because I, I, was, I was waiting for that Gary Sistrick moment. I felt like I was eight years old when I hugged him. <laughs> Dyra eventually dropped out of college and worked a ton of different jobs. And when football was no longer part of his life, he had a bit of an identity crisis. He was lost, deep in a haze of marijuana and alcohol, searching for purpose. He had his oldest son, Karan, when he was 20 years old. And he said he really struggled to be a good dad when Karan was young. And Karan was the one who suffered. But as he got older, he made a conscious decision to break the cycle. He knew he wanted to be a better dad and a better person for his kids. In order to do that, he had to forgive his father first. And he's grateful that he was able to reconcile with him before he died in 2005. When Karan played football briefly as a teenager, Dyro went to every single game. He was still living in Jersey, and I flew to surprise him. I flew up there and went to his banquet. Because I understand how important it was to look in the crowd and see somebody you know. If you talk to any one of my, my children, he's always there. He's, my dad is always there. Why? Because no one showed up for me. So I got to be there for them. Dyro has seven kids now. Hearing him talk about them, it's clear that he's bursting with pride. They renew something in him. I give my kids hugs. I never got a hug by my father. Never. And that's sad. I hug all my kids all the time. Why are you just hugging me? Because <laughs> we need hugs. Toward the end of my day with Dairo, his two youngest children joined us in the office to talk about the 1990 game. Ose is 10, and Judah is 8. Can you imagine your dad being seven? No. No. What do you think he was like as a seven-year-old? He probably looked the same without a beard, and did you have hair? Yeah. I'm just asking. <laughs> yes, I, I had hair. Yeah, with, with no beard and a hair. Okay. And less taller. Less taller. I was like you, but I, I was a little chubby. Did you guys know your dad played football? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know? No. Yeah, he told us like millions of times. Oh. He has pictures. He literally has a, he used to have a football ring, I think. I had the highlights queued up on my laptop, and I pressed play, showing the boys the starting lineup that showed their father's name, the crucial tackle he made in the first quarter to save a touchdown, the fumble he forced from Randolph quarterback Mike Groh in the second quarter that led to a Montclair score. The boys watch, largely unmoved, eager to get back to their rooms and their video games. Neither of them has much interest in sports, they tell me. Ose wants to be an actor. Judah seems a little too young to quite know. They remind me of my own kids, back in New Jersey. But even though clearly they're bored and confused by this exercise, and these strangers now standing in their home, they sit patiently and obediently. A few minutes later, as we're sitting there with Ose and Judah, Dairo's phone rings. It's his oldest son, Karan. He's 30 now and he tells his father he's sorry he couldn't come by today because he has strep throat, but he's still calling to let him know that he'll do his dad's taxes tomorrow. 
This strikes me because my in-laws do my taxes. Karan, on the other hand, seems perfectly happy doing this for his father, even while he's sick. Karan vows to check back in with his dad tomorrow. I wait nearby, curious how the call will end. Dairo told me his mom and dad never told him they love him, ever, and it affected him deeply. Then, just before they hang up, they say goodbye. I love you, Dairo says. I love you, Karan responds. More after the break. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When we were talking about parenting... Dairo told me something else that has really stayed with me. He said that when he was struggling to raise Karan as a young father, his former teammate Sham Singh's mom would help look after him. This is classic Montclair, and it reminded me of so many other stories I'd heard, of Mounties having each other's backs during hard times. Pony Sistrunk told me that when his family experienced a house fire, they stayed with Garland Thornton's family. And when Garland was looking for work after high school, he turned to his coaches and mentors, many of whom were former Mounties. Garland is now the activities coordinator for the township of Montclair. He's also the president of the Bulldogs, a youth football league in town, and he worked as a coach for the Mounties for several years. He says he feels a great responsibility having other people's kids in his care, and it's his mission to give back to his community. I had people at an early age guiding me, so it's only right for me to give that back to everybody. And the game helps him connect with his players. I was upset for years, but I don't mind it so much because, you know, I learned a lot about myself, you know, um, how to handle adversity. I mean, I feel like I can, I've been through a lot. We all been through a lot. We all lost people, lost a job, lost this and that. And you learn how to deal with it. Here I am, 30-something years still talking about it. But I use it as a teaching tool with my kids now to say, hey, I don't care how good you are. I don't care that my team had everything and we still didn't win. Garland has come to learn that history has a way of repeating itself. For him, it happened back in 2011, when he was an assistant coach at Montclair. The Mounties were playing North Bergen in the state championship. He'd recently talked to the team about Randolph Montclair, and then his players found themselves in an eerily similar situation. You know, same type of setup, you know, four or five seconds left in the game. They stopped the clock with one second left. And I got on my knees and I prayed to the gods and I prayed, I said, please don't let this happen to these kids. I don't want to go through this again. 
Just like in 1990, the football gods were not on his side. Sure enough, one second left, we lose the game, state championship. The Mounties had lost again by a single point in the final second. Now I'm on the other side. Now I'm a coach going through that, and now I'm on the side with my coaches went through when we went, oh, you should have won the game. You should have easily beat that game. That's part of coaching, and that's part of the game. So I had both sides of it. But the next year, Montclair got back to the state championship game. And this time, they beat Bloomfield 16-13 to in double overtime. Then they won it all again the next year, 33 to nothing. Back-to-back champs. And I was ecstatic because I was like, I wasn't part of no drama, nothing. And my kids were like, oh, this is boring. I said, screw you. I'm, I'm happy to be on this side of it, you know. There are a lot of former Mounties like Garland still involved with football in the community. But I was surprised when just last year, the school announced the new head coach. And he isn't from Montclair either. Once they made their decision and, and they chose me, it was a dream come true, and I thanked the good, good man upstairs over and over again. You know, I had to pinch myself a couple of times, like, yo, am I really the head coach of Montclair High School football? And will I be allowed back in Bloomfield ever again? <laughs> this is Jermaine Johnson. He graduated from Bloomfield High, Montclair's longtime rival. He actually played against the 1990 Mounties in the season opener that year. He was at the Montclair-Randolph game. And for the record... His friends in Bloomfield understand why he had to take the Mounties job. When I was growing up, you had a lot of, you know, football stars that you looked up to the next town over, you know, because you, you couldn't you could not hear about the, the kids that were playing at the time and you know who went on to the NFL. I'm I'm home and I'm watching Quintus McDonald playing in the in the NFL, you know, and watching at Penn State. Uh, but you can't help not to be like, how A, you know, would love to beat them every time we play them, you know, because you know they're a powerhouse. And, and, and B, you, you have to envy them at the same time because that's who you aspire to be. So I knew about the, the history. And, you know, again, as a high school coach, how could you not put your name in a hat with a job like this? Jermaine is tasked with getting the Mounties back on solid footing after a few recent years of upheaval in the program, including three straight seasons where the Mounties lost as many games as they won. And there's no better man for the job. Jermaine has coached at a few different schools, having success at every stop. But today's Montclair hardly resembles the one Jermaine remembers from his childhood. I'm walking the hallways and I'm, I'm like, wow, this, this is really, you know, changing. New construction is going up all over the place. And the average home costs almost a million dollars. It's pushed out a lot of working class families who used to live in town. Back in 1990, the football team was predominantly black. But today, Jermaine says it's about 70% white. And while football was king three decades ago, now soccer, lacrosse, and ice hockey are vying for the best athletes in school. Plus, football participation in youth leagues like the Cobras is way down. Parents are scared to let their children play football and risk long-term injury. But it doesn't mean football isn't important anymore. The diehards, the people with deep ties to the past, People like Mike Mafucci and Garland Thornton and many others are making sure Montclair Pride stays alive. That message was made clear when Jermaine briefly considered changing the Mounties' classic blue and white uniforms to black, something a little more modern. And I heard quite a bit from some old school alumni. And I was told, when Jermaine gets this job, let them know we wear blue and white. That's it. And I was like... 
Yeah, I, I get it. I'll respect your wishes, no problem. We'll, we'll stick with what got us here to this day. <laughs> In short, there's still pressure. A lot of pressure. Listen, with this job alone, it's a different type of pressure compared to any other job I've ever had uh, as a head coach, as an assistant coach. Um, I, I, I knew what I was walking into when I got hired. Uh, I, I knew from the jump uh, it was something that I expected because I still talk to a lot of the alumni from last year back in the 70s and the 60s. And I know how they wear their pride on their sleeves. So, yes, it is the same type of pressure. It's pride, it's pride, and it's always going to be pride. Jermaine's first season last year was rocky, to say the least. The Mounties made the playoffs and were poised to make a run. But out of nowhere, the team was forced to forfeit all of their games because they had unknowingly used an academically ineligible student. That meant the Mounties officially finished the year 0-9, and they were booted from the playoffs before they even had a chance to play. It was devastating for Jermaine and his players. What happened to us, it shouldn't happen to anyone. We can never take that away, just like the 90 team, you know. And it's just something that you have to stick in the back of your head and, and try to move on for it. And, you know, you want to be real positive with it. You got to use it as motivation. We made a vow, you know, during this offseason that we wanted to come into this season with a vengeance. This season, Montclair has played really well. The Mounties won five of their first seven games and their goal is to win a state championship. After the disappointment from last season, Jermaine was searching for motivation at the beginning of this season, a slogan to help his team stay focused. He kicked around a few options, and then one just felt right. We have on our shirts, unfinished business. That's right, unfinished business. When Jermaine told me this, I felt a wave of deja vu, because I had heard that phrase before. Four years after the devastating 1990 loss to Randolph in the championship game, the Mounties made it all the way back to the state final, where somehow they were facing the Rams again. We went over all this last episode. Before the game, some Montclair fans printed up t-shirts with a phrase on the back, unfinished business. Then Derek Ponton quarterbacked the Mounties to victory, easing the pain of his big brother, Lamont, who had quarterbacked the losing Montclair team in 1990. It all felt so circular, so intertwined, like the cycle is repeating itself. It's three decades later, and Montclair is so different, and yet everything is still the same. Then Jermaine shared one more nugget. There's also a familiar name on his 2023 roster. I have uh, Derek Ponton playing for us now as well. Oh my gosh, really? Derek Ponton Jr. He's Derek's son and Lamont's nephew. He's a sophomore. He's a big young man. So, you know, he, he knows what's at stake as well. Got to keep the name going, baby. I went to a Mounties game this September, and I couldn't help but notice the atmosphere seemed really different from those games in the 80s and 90s that we've heard so much about. This game was held at a local college. A few old-timers were there, guys with white hair and block M ball caps. But overall, there were only about 100 Montclair fans in the bleachers. It made me a little sad. 
If number one and number two play each other again, it certainly will matter to some people, but not as many as it did in 1990. Not even close. High school sports participation is down across the board. The news cycle moves too fast these days. There's a last second shot that goes viral, and then it's forgotten in a matter of hours, replaced by the next viral sensation. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Roger Angel, the Hall of Fame sports journalist from The New Yorker. I've thought about it constantly as I've worked on this story, and as I raise my own three boys and go to their games and practices almost every day. The quote is about how some people look down on sports fans, as immature or unserious for caring so much as adults about a childish game. And the sports fan is often expected to defend or explain a feeling that's almost impossible to put into words. Then Angel says this. What is left out of this calculation, it seems to me, is the business of caring, caring deeply and passionately, really caring, which is a capacity or an emotion that has almost gone out of our lives. Naivete, the infantile and ignoble joy that sends a grown man or woman to dancing in the middle of the night over the haphazardous flight of a distant ball, seems a small price to pay for such a gift. And I think that's the point of this story, that sports can have an impact. They're memories, lived experiences, that become seared into our souls. That's what's so special, that a high school football game has made people feel something as profound as the players on Montclair and Randolph still feel today. Despite all the pain and anguish from that game, for Dairo, there were still so many moments of joy throughout the season. If I can bottle that up, I would bottle it up and sip it every day. Win or lose, shouldn't we all be so lucky? Join us next time on Lights Out for a behind-the-scenes look at the making of the series. You came back from attempting to interview Jack's widow, um, and you were just like on fire because the strangest thing had just happened. Do you remember that day? Yeah, absolutely. You know, normally with what we do, we want firm answers about what happened, and I was not getting those. And um, I was really upset because I, I remember thinking, this story is not going to work because we don't know what happened to them. We don't have those answers. And again, I think this is one of the, the reasons you're such a great editor is that you kind of told me like, this, this in, in ways is going to make the story better. Lights Out is a production of Campside Media and Entertainment One in association with NJ Advanced Media and XTR. This series was reported and hosted by me, Matt Stanmeyer. Naomi Brauner is the senior producer, and Kim Baikama is the associate producer. Additional production support from Natalia Winkleman and Campside senior producer, Lindsay Kilbride. Our story editor and executive producer is Emily Martinez. Mixing, sound design, and original music by Ewen Leitremuen. Additional engineering from Blake Rook. This series was fact-checked by Lauren Vispoli and Matt Giles. Special thanks to Robert Fox, Chris Kelly, Steve Politti, Anthony Pacillo, Jeff McGrath, and Paul Spahala. A special thanks to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, and Destiny Dingle. 
Our executive producers are Lee Eisenberg from A Piece of Work, Justin Lacob from XTR, and from Campside Media, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed Lights Out, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.